Hello, and welcome to Fortune's Wheelhouse, a podcast about esoterics and the tarot. I'm Susie Chang, and my co-host is Mel Moline. We're going on a journey through the symbolic imagery of each of the 78 tarot cards. If you use a Rider-Waite-Smith deck, or a Thoth deck, or Mel's own Tabula Mundi deck, you've come to the right place. We love making this podcast, and we hope you love listening to it. But you should also know that Fortune's Wheelhouse is more than the sound of our voices. We have a home on the web at www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse. Come and visit us there so you can experience the other part of this conversation, where we provide hundreds of written articles and explanations for even the most obscure concepts you'll hear on the show. If you sign up to be our patron at even the $1 level, you'll instantly gain access to all that information. As you know, each week we have a giveaway. Last week's prize went to our friend in Australia, Peter Stewart, also known as Spiffo. Without Spiffo, Fortune's Wheelhouse would probably not exist, since he's the one who introduced us in the first place. Congratulations, old friend. This week, we're talking about the king or knight of pentacles or discs, he who makes sure food and drink are plentiful for all, including himself. For this week's giveaway, we're offering one lucky winner a Fortune's Wheelhouse travel mug, so you can enjoy your favorite hot or cold beverage as you travel the length and breadth of your own kingdom. You can sign up as a patron and find out more about the drawing at www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse. If you're on Facebook, you can also connect with other listeners at Fortune's Wheelhouse Academy. That's the officially unofficial Fortune's Wheelhouse group where even now hundreds of listeners like you are sharing their love of esoteric tarot. You too could be one of them. Remember, you can always check in with me and Mel at our individual websites. I'm at www.tsusanchang.com. That's T as in tarot, susanchang.com, which is where you can check out my blog posts, my online class, my book, and lots more. My Etsy shop is at www.etsy.com slash shop slash tarotista. Mel's blog is at www.tabulamundi.com, and you can order her products at tarotcart.com. And we each have newsletters where you can sign up to hear about anything new that's happening in our worlds. Finally, if you have a moment and you haven't done it yet, would you please leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or iTunes? You can do it that way too. It's free, it's easy to do, and it really does help spread the word. Thanks for doing that and helping us out. And now, here's this week's episode. Thought once I had a king Wore an invisible crown Sometimes spoke truth But mostly Welcome. We are now embarking on the court cards of the pentacles or disc suit. And we shall begin with the king or knight of pentacles. And we shall end our complete series with the princess or page of pentacles or discs. So the king or knight of pentacles or discs is known as the lord of the wide and fertile land, the king of the spirits of earth, 
the king of the gnomes. <laughs> <laughs> what gnomes? I don't see no gnomes on there. He is a gnome. Look he at is how a bit short of a gnome. he is. They make a point of that, I think. In yeah, several places short in stature. he's referred yeah. to as being short in stature. So uh, he's a gnome. The so I think we see in this card some of the really strong agricultural themes of of disc suit. Although really, you know, throughout both the miners and the courts of the discs and pentacles suit, you see all kinds of food growing everywhere. Yep. For the disc or pentacles courts, we're going to be talking about all the earth signs primarily. Uh, we'll be talking about that means Capricorn, Taurus, and Virgo. And we'll begin with Virgo, even though it's the mutable earth sign, because we start from king or knight and we proceed downwards in a sense through to page or princess. So king or knight will be dealing with Virgo. Uh, queen will be dealing with Capricorn, uh, the cardinal form of earth. And then in the prince or knight, we will be dealing with the fixed form of earth in Taurus. So we begin with the fiery part of earth. And as we've said before, these elemental assignations are kind of interesting because we're not really talking about fire as fire in that sense, but some of the fiery qualities of fire. I was kind of thinking about the difference between this card, the fire of earth and its opposite Earth of Fire mm-hmm. in, in the Princess of Wands. Absolutely. Like Fire of Earth here, you think of it as the the fecundity of Earth, you know, the the sun that warms the Earth and produces life and growth. The where, vigor of the shoot, yeah. Yeah, whereas with the Earth of Fire in the Princess, it seems more like they say she's the fuel that fuels creativity. Like the wood or the earth that grounds and stabilizes the creativity. Yeah. Yeah. So the earthy part of anything is that which grounds and stabilizes it. And the fiery part of anything energizes is that which, right, gives it, inspires it and energizes it. And yeah. I like that way of thinking of it. And the king or knights therefore have these qualities of leadership because the spark comes out of nowhere and helps guide the way. So what we look for in the king or knight is someone who can lead the way in these matters of the earth, of the body, of growing things. And that makes kind of sense because, you know, he's the one who has to bring in the harvest. He's yeah. traditionally in the Northern Hemisphere, you know, in his in his time period, he's the one who has to feed everybody. I have a note here about, well, just the word mountain. And I think that has something to do with the way Crowley conceptualized the fiery part of Earth because the mountain reaches towards the sun. He specifically mentions mountains, earthquakes, the force of gravity in relation to the fire of Earth, I think. Yeah, something about that, you know, the strength of the mountain, but also it's uh, sort of the potential energy that it holds, I guess. So we expect him to be involved in all matters agricultural. This card in particular has everything to do with food production. Um, But also what I noticed about these four court cards is every one of them has a beast associated with its crest. Yeah, and it's a different beast, too. Yeah, so we've got this one as the stag, then we've got the goat for the queen, the the bull for the prince, and the the ram for the princess. The the bestiary. the, uh, (laughs) The Wade Smith one actually is associated with the bull as well. So there's kind of that... Yeah, there's that weirdness. Yeah, and there's also, I think, the fact that 
I noticed in all of the court cards, even more than in other court cards, that there's a lot of blending of the different three earth sign symbolisms throughout them. You know, yeah, they almost all start to say, sound the same after they a do. While. They do. It's like all sort of about fertility and you know renewal and and I think that's fine. You know, I think I think generally with court cards, you expect to see a bit of that mixing because they're the most mixed of cards as it is. Yeah. So, you know, if you don't see the King or Knight of Pentacles as a Virgo, you see him as a Taurus or a Capricorn, okay. You know, that's right. totally legit. They're all Call earthy him. and steady and, yeah. <laughs> and plotting. And <laughs> He's just not like a Gemini or something, you know? Right. So speaking of which, let his corresponding majors would be the Luster Strength card and the Hermit. Which I think is really interesting because the courts kind of force you to think about the transitions between signs a little bit more. Whereas, you know, when we were working on the minors, you really focus in on the sign itself. But the fact that the courts pick up a decan from the previous sign makes you think about what it means to move, for example, from, uh, well, from fire to earth in all of these yeah, instances. Yeah, all, all of these. That's the other thing I was thinking about how every one of these starts out with a shadow decan of a fire sign and then moves into the two primary earth signs. And that feels kind of appropriate that that energy of fire needed to kind of activate the earth. Yeah, it does. And that's sort of like first and last qualities that yeah. belong to both of them. So, you know, there's sort of the ultimate initiatory energy and the ultimate receptive energy. Yeah, it's like that whole... um the princess and the knight having this relationship where she awakens the eld and she you know, he starts the, eld, the right? cycle again. There's <laughs> there's that connection, even though they're on opposite ends of the divine name, they they connect back to each other. Right. And the earth, you know, having gone through earth, you then begin again in fire. So it all kind of makes sense. And with each sort of story that we tell about moving from fire into earth, as we do in Leo to Virgo, in Aries to Taurus, and in Sagittarius to Capricorn, we get that same sort of feeling of like the shift from a focus on this kind of driven, fiery, highly, you know, energetic, highly stimulated energy to one that's sort of lower More and grounded. grounded and, 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 yeah. yeah. Practical. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. like you go from here at least here in the north, you go mm -hmm. from summer into where you're kind of having fun and <laughs> Leo season <laughs> to um, to harvest time and let's start preparing yeah. for what comes after. And, uh, from and grasshopper to ant. <laughs> from grasshopper <laughs> to ant, for sure. Yeah, from being the star of the show and uh, to just being a worker bee again. There's something about the rulership qualities of Leo that this king picks up on, I think, the rulership qualities of Leo and also the seven of wands, valor. Valor is one of his qualities where he, uh, even though it's his shadow decan, where he has this sort of awareness of the obstacles that we're up against and therefore has to apply himself to bring in the harvest in the eight and nine of discs and, uh, and to focus on the details with the hermit. So, right. yeah. you know, every last grain must be gathered yeah. <laughs> or and, else and we'll counted. starve. <laughs> yeah, and, and counted. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it's interesting. I think that, um, I think Crowley, picks up on some Ten of Discs themes in here as well, even though it's not his I think he mentions, he mentions the Ten of Discs. It was in relation to the 
geomantic figure associated with this yeah. card, or maybe with the hexagram. Conjunctio, um, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure what he... I, I do remember reading he was specifically talking about the Ten of Discs, even though it's not one of the Deccans. He, Probably he just because that. of the uber Virgo um, aspect of yeah. the Ten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, there's a there's a side of this king which isn't just about the drudgery, I think, but also the enjoyment of the abundance mm-hmm. of the harvest. You know, you work really hard, but you play hard too, and you feast because there's so much food around. It kind of reminds me of that idea of the the king for a year yes you know where the king gets sacrificed to increase the fertility of the kingdom but for the meantime he for a year he gets to live it up and be the king (laughs) that's exactly right i I was just going to say the same thing that there's that relationship between we talked about the sacrifice of the maiden in the spring where you try to ensure that the harvest is going to be fine and this is the time of the king where the king will die in order to to express appreciation for the harvest, I guess. This is an ending part of the same cycle where we have the marriage of the king and the queen in the midsummer day, which I guess would be actually the beginning of cancer. But now sort of we've gone through the summer, we're taking in the harvest, and the decrease of the light is associated with the sacrifice of the king. In the Northern Hemisphere, <laughs> as we always must say. Yes. And I'm sure there's a way of conceptualizing it for the Southern Hemisphere. You know, I mean, it is also an axis or a hinge of the year, and there's probably a way to do that. But I think because of the fact that these cards are saturated in Northern Hemisphere imagery, we see a lot of, you know, seasonal stuff going on in here that you can only put in Northern Hemisphere terms. So what's kind of interesting is that the... Grape harvest takes place sort of, well, broadly August through November, but, you know, concentrated in September, maybe August through October, but concentrated in September. And yeah, it's pretty much September where the yeah. wild grapes where I live are yeah, abundant. Yeah. And there's something especially about the grapes, I think, which we see in the King of Pentacles in Wade Smith, but it sort of has to do with that, the pressing of the grapes into wine and their sort of metaphor for blood, yep. you know, the spilling of the blood that also has to do with these sacrificial qualities. And, um, and I think throughout the discords generally, we'll see sort of Dionysian themes like that. Yeah, we do yeah. see that. It's it's interesting because at first he he really seems like a very sober figure, <laughs> but um, there's that other layer of the imagery to consider. Yeah, absolutely. And I was thinking that with his sort of association with uh, the abundant harvest, there's something about that transition from seven of wands, valor, to eight of discs, prudence, and nine of discs gain that reminds me of sort of those last stages of warfare where after the brutality and violence of establishing your dominion or your your right to rule you then have to focus on providing for everyone that you've now conquered who are now your subjects and who now have to be fed so there's something about that in that sort of very martial transition of the 7 of wands to the sun uh where the sun in the eight of discs or pentacles where governorship mm-hmm. becomes the priority rather than being a warrior. Yeah. And there's also that big picture to small picture transition going yeah. on. Leo and the, the kingdom, the rulership qualities to Virgo, the attention to detail, the small things, the building up of um, 
storage and yeah oh that reminds me of uh that reminds me of that saying in politics where you you campaign in poetry but you govern in prose right right it was like you need the charisma to win the battle but then leo yeah exactly and a lot of our presidents have actually had a strong amount of leo in their in their charts not enough of them have had enough Virgo. <laughs> because, <laughs> yeah. because then you have to like get into the sausage making. Then you have to get into the nitty gritty and, <laughs> exactly. and the details and all the work that no one wants to do. They want the glory and, exactly. and not the, yeah, the daily grind. Right. That's what this is. This is after the election. <laughs> this card here, one of the things that always comes to mind. In the mind Thoth is, one? Is, mm-hmm. Well, any of, uh, uh-huh. any of this night. Mm-hmm. nose to the grindstone yeah you know it's the nose sure. to the grindstone card turning things into their tiny tiny little steps so you can get them done <laughs> yeah yeah and the other thing that's kind of interesting about this and we'll talk about it more is that his qualities of charisma and warrior likeness um are kind of referenced in his connection with the alexander figure so I'll talk about that more when we get to the historical section, but there is that tie in to again the charismatic leader, uh, despite his dullard remem- aspects. Remember that the seven of wands is his shadow decan. So mm-hmm. while he has those qualities, to focus on them detracts from his purpose of care. Right, that's you his know, past. care in small things. What his purpose in being here is to care for these details and make them prosper. Whereas if he focuses on heroism, it takes him away from his duty. It's like the, the leader who is all image cannot focus on the good of the people. Yeah. So Kabbalistically, we are dealing with Chokmah in Asiya. Yeah. And we've probably talked about this before, but the interesting thing is that the queens and the princes contain so if you think of you know knights as being hakma or twos it's the only one of the court cards that doesn't contain its, its decan. decan in its in its three decans it doesn't contain its sephira yeah right. that's true and you know one thing i was thinking about though is that another sort of manifestation of hakma in asia is the two of discs so there's kind of a connection mm-hmm. with that even though that's a decan that belongs to the queen mm mm-hmm. mhm it, was, it does make sense, though, the yeah. idea of change, um, yeah. in particular with this card, with the change of seasons and the, the change of qualities. And the Jupiter and Capricorn, so there's those qualities of, of kingship. Ru- rulership and kingship. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, almost kingship and exile since he's in his fall there. Mm-hmm. But uh, but there is a sort of a Zeus quality that's associated with this king or king or knight. So There's an Arthurian quality to him as yeah, well. The, the, the uh, sacrifice yeah. for the good of the people. Yep. And Hakma is one of the many words meaning wisdom or understanding or knowledge that we find at the top of the tree. It's usually, you know, we translate Bina as understanding, we translate Hakma as wisdom, and we translate Da'at as knowledge. So, but they're all sort of aspects of each other. And Hakma is the sort of the flash of insight version the of spark. that. Yeah. The spark. Yeah. We're back to the spark again, the spark of the nights. Yeah. So there's a spark of understanding relating to the material world, the made world of Asiya. The Yod force, you know, yeah. that starts at Keter but ends up in Hokma. Right, right. And to me, that makes me think of 
you know, the innovations required to bring in the harvest, you know, kind of the mechanical things that create greater efficiency, the kind of streamlining. And efficiency is a sort of a quality of Virgo, this desire to do the maximum with less effort, you know, so you can do more and more and more and work harder and harder and harder. But there's something about that quality of ingenuity that goes with this, which you don't necessarily expect with this guy because he appears to be kind of hidebound and, <laughs> and covered in earth. But I think that's true. And I think, you know, in the contrast with him and the prince or knight of discs is that I think the prince maintains and fixes things. You know, he's the one who's going to like clean out the, the manure spreader, <laughs> but this is the guy who invents it, which I understand is a really horrible job. So you know, shout out to all you farmers out there. <laughs> it's really interesting too, out of all the knights, I can't quite decide who embodies that yod force. Mm. You could think the knight of wands does because he has that initiatory quality. But this one with Virgo and the connection to yod, he also seems like yeah. they're just, they're both equally, and they're at the beginning and the end of the suits as well. So there's just something about that, that they both seem to embody the Yod Force more than the other two knights. Right. I think that's true. I was just reading for someone over the break, and she had received the Knight or King of Wands. And one of the things that came out in that reading was sort of the headstrong qualities of mm -hmm. that Knight or King, the, and that sort of like, non-deference to others so that you can lead the way. And he's the, uh, this guy, this the knight guy, of discs is the opposite. It's all about of, the others, uh, yeah, right? Yeah, he's yeah. supposed to focus on the small things and not be the, the yeah. Right, I think of the, the king or knight of wands as being someone who has that charisma and can lead people. He's like the one who leads people on the exodus, you know, because he has that Sagittarian sort of long distance far-reaching vision. Yeah. But this one is the one who provides for you once you're in place. Yeah. Yeah. And he's got the other half of the Deccans. So this, you know, he's got the eight and, yeah. and nine. This guy's got the seven. So there is another connection there. Oh, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Oh, right. So so he's got the, you're talking about the other, uh, the, the other fiery. Other fire. Um, yeah. The eight and eight, nine. Eight and nine of wands. Seven. Go yeah. with the knight of wands. So it's almost like you're at the seven of wands and you could split to go you know, king or knight of wands, eight and nine of wands, or you could go eight and nine of discs, king or knight of discs. Yeah, yeah. there seems to be a connection between yeah. this knight and that knight in a way that the other two knights yeah. of water and air don't seem re related yeah, in the exactly. same way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you're getting there. Um, so in terms of the historical and cartomantic references, there are some kind of interesting things that go with this. For example, the King of Diamonds. Now there's of course always the problem with uh with diamonds of whether you assign them to wands or pentacles. Um that's which is again another one of those connections between yeah. them. But you can often see people say, well the club suit is actually the pentacle suit because they are sort of three coins you know, match together. Or whereas, growing. Or, yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. Could, you could look at it either way. You can look at it either way. And the, you know, the, the diamond suit could be wands because they're actually, you know, wands intersecting that form the diamond shape. You know, there's a lot of different ways to look at it. But I'm kind of going for the sake of argument with king of diamonds. Oh, and the other sort of ambiguity we haven't mentioned is that, you know, the knight prince 
or king yeah. knight ambiguity, which we hate talking about, but it's a particularly sort of stark in this one because, you know, the Thoth knight of discs looks so much like the Waitsmith knight of pentacles, you know, with their black horses sort of looking to the right, very yellowy card. Yeah, and the fact that they put bulls on this one when it yeah. should be Virgo, not Taurus. Yeah, exactly. But they do that in a lot of suits. Like they'll put fishes on mm-hmm. a card that isn't Pisces and right. etc. They seem to like fixate in the Rider weight. It seems to fixate on, you know, one suit symbol for all the elemental signs and mix them up rather than mm. stick with the uh, astrological attributions. Right. right. It's not really strict. And I don't think she had a ton of direction about that, but she just kind of went with. Yeah. Um, but it, again, it's, it is sort of appropriate in the sense that courts are mixed and blended. So one of the references for the King of Diamonds is he's considered a Caesar, Julius Caesar figure, which I think is so interesting because of those themes of like treason and sacrifice, you know, exactly. (laughs) So like, this is the great ruler who is, you know, cut off and his prime, which is, again, that sort of theme of the sacrificial king. And the other thing, there's a funny nickname for the King of Diamonds, which is the man with the axe. (laughs) It's a poker term, because all the other kings have swords. He's got an axe. Oh, okay. Which is interesting because an axe is a useful implement. You know, it's not just for warfare. Chopping it's wood, for, yeah. yeah, it's for doing shit that needs to get done. And yep. I think that's kind of appropriate for this king because he's all about doing his chores. It's also the, <laughs> the preferred weapon of dwarves. <laughs> <laughs> Gnomes, dwarves. Gnomes, dwarves, Close right? <laughs> the, the longest sort of standing historical association... Um, of uh, the king of discs or pentacles is with Alexander. So we have in the French tradition, we have all these sort of like knightly courtly figures that are associated with the court cards, typically out of medieval romance. And of course, Alexander was considered the greatest of them all, right? He was not only a king and a warrior, he was a scholar, you know, and his empire was the greatest of all, uh, centered on Alexandria. The world. Exactly. Uh, His myth was something that subsequent centuries really picked up on and embellished, made even more glamorous. But there's a really kind of interesting connection here in the romance of Alexander, which is a French medieval version of the Alexander story, they tell the story of the sorcerer Nectanebo, whom we've seen before. So Nectanebo is the father of Alexander, who has this sort of like, he's sort of a wizard figure who who enchants himself to seduce the woman, I think Olympia, who will become the mother of Alexander. Even though that she's married to someone else, he sort of takes on the form, again, that Arthurian Mm -hmm. kind of uh, echoes of that Arthurian story, takes on the form of the husband, takes on the form of a snake that's associated with the lust card, the strength card, you know, and creates this, this warrior, mythical warrior king. And that's kind of interesting, just that connection with the serpent qualities, just because, you know. Yeah, I found a few connections to serpents in this card. And speaking of Alexander, he was described physically as having like hair like a lion's mane. Yes. But being very short. So again, we have the short stature, but the leonine, the like, leonine quality yeah, as well. Qualities. Oh, yeah, qualities. Right. And I don't know, there's that like that lion and serpent myth is kind of tied in there. 
Uh, and if you guys want to remember or go over more about Nectanebo the Sorcerer, we talk about him in the Prince slash Knight of Cups episode where we talk about Scorpio in great detail. So, so there's definitely something about that going on. Alexander was known as the perfect nobleman, the, the generous king, which is a quality of this card, and a seeker of knowledge, which, you know, whenever you have serpents, you have knowledge. But he was also known as the Dul Karnain, which I have no idea whether I'm saying that. That's right. That's Arabic, uh, which means the two horned. So there was this connection with Alexander and the ram god Zeus yeah, Ammon. Because Alexander Thebes. often wore the ram horns. Exactly. And if you see his currency, and, yeah. yes, he has that, that sort of ram horns curling behind his head, which are known as the Ammonus Cornu, the ram horns of Ammon. So that's associated again with that sort of Zeus figure, uh, Zeus Ammon figure who dates you know, from Hellenistic Egypt. So when the Greeks, their traditions came into Egypt, Zeus was sort of fused with Ammon and then after that with Alexander. The job of Zeus Ammon, the ram god of Thebes, was to erect a wall between humans and Gog or Magog, who is the sort of dual god of chaos. And again, that's a sort of like Virgo need to like ward off chaos (laughs) and to make a protective sort of membrane. Fight the forces of entropy. Exactly, exactly. So that I thought was kind of interesting and evocative in terms of the the sort of animal meanings of this of this god. We kind of talked about decans, I you know guess. What's interesting. Yeah. Just I was just mm-hmm. thinking that when you were talking about horns, every one of these discards, we talked about how they all have beasts. Well, there every one of those beasts has horns. Yeah, they're, they're all, all horned, horned beasts. beasts. Weird. So yep. we talked about rams where there's bulls and stags, oxen goats, and stags, bulls and rams, goats. all yeah. horned. Yeah. Horned quadrupeds. (laughs) Yeah, which will make, you know, more sense in a way when we get to the Queen of Pentacles and talk about Capricorn, the devil, the horned one. Mm -hmm. You know, so there's that connection. But also, I think we can talk a little bit about the stag figure, Cernunos, you know, Mm -hmm. the the wild stag. Who was also associated with a serpent. Mm -hmm. And and the sun, uh, which is... You know, this is probably the most solar of the three court cards we're going to talk about today. Sort of um, sacrificial prince, quality, the too. too. The prince, too. That's and true. For, because of, of being associated with the sixes. And Tiferet. Yes. Yeah. That's really interesting. But out of the, all the four creatures, the stag, the goat, the bull, and the ram, the stag seems very solar. Above all. As a symbol, all. whereas mm-hmm. the bull seems more lunar with its crest, exactly. crescent horns, you know. Exactly. The goat and ram seem more martial than solar mm. or lunar. <laughs> Definitely thonic. Yeah, I actually have a couple notes here, which which might be kind of interesting to bring in just about those sort of agricultural themes and the stag. The stag itself, you know, the the horns of the stag were said to be sort of a representation of the tree of life in a way. Yeah, you can I've kind of see that. that, right? And also I've seen that they, the antlers are a symbol of the expanding rays of the sun. So that, that again makes brings in that. Uh, and I think in the dictionary of symbols, I I read that it was considered a symbol of prudence. Yep. So which is interesting because you know, prudence was Vir- Virgo, the Virgo trump, eight of discs, and it was also the eight of discs, and they're mm-hmm. both both here in this card. And why prudence? Because I think because the stag is powerful but timid, right? Yeah, I think I believe I read the same 
section Entry. that you yeah. did in the Book <laughs> of Symbols, and it said something about because it sniffs for danger and is vigilant for threats, you know? Right. So it's, it's prudent. Oh, and it said it also instinctively knows healing herbs and plants, mm. which seems very like a Virgo quality. Yeah, and it's associated with plenty and longevity, which is associated with the harvest. Let's see, Deccan-wise, we, I guess we just briefly talked about it, but just to specify that sort of 20 to 29 degrees of Leo uh, through zero through 19 degrees of Virgo. So those 30 degrees cover up here, um, I mean, those 30 degrees cover August 11-ish to September 10th or 11-ish. Again, that harvest season and the the, the yeah. time of the grape. There is that story, the Seven of Wands being like a challenge and the, the Eight of Discs being a cultivation and the Nine of Discs being a harvest. Yeah, and it is, of course, the time when everybody gets sort of nose to the grindstone again. They are involved in a school year or if they're involved in an agricultural field. Okay, so why don't we talk Waite Smith if we're ready to do that? Oh, sure. Okay, so what I love about this card is that he's like literally covered in earth. <laughs> you know, he's basically grown into his throne. <laughs> yeah, I think I referred to him as a clod. <laughs> he is a clod. He's, he's so encased in he's so heavy. the matters of the earth that he cannot move. He's the densest yod. <laughs> <laughs> We've talked about this a little bit before, but in all of the other court cards that are not pentacles or discs, uh, they all have, you know, a through line. So all the, all of the wands in Rider Waite Smith have a salamander. All of the cups in Rider Waite Smith courts we're talking about have a fish. And then, of course, there's the butterfly on the swords one. But as we've been talking about, we have a wide diversity of animals here in the District Pentacle suit. And that kind of makes sense, actually. As you go through the creation story, you have, it's a story of increasing diversity. Mm. The bull figures on his throne, that's something that Waite particularly wanted to draw attention to. He said the bull's head should be noted as a recurrent symbol on the throne. And that's interesting because we associate bulls more with Taurus, of course, than with Virgo. But that kind of makes sense because, you know, the bull is a sky god figure, mm -hmm. among other things. His association with fertility is very lunar, but his association with the seed is very solar. So there's both of those sort of combined. Yeah, I mean, we'll probably talk more about the bull when we get to the Taurus cards, mm -hmm. but there's there's definitely an appropriate connection with this guy as well. Yeah, That's, I think especially he's got... that sacrificial king aspect with the Mithras, you know, Mithras and the bull, yeah. and all the planimal planimals, <laughs> <laughs> all the animals and plants coming from the body of Mithras. I see. I guess four of them, if you look closely. Yeah, I see there's four. Yep. Two one on each end. Two on the top and two on the bottom. Yeah, it's kind of um, kind of reminiscent of the beasts of Ezekiel, except they're all bulls. Yeah. <laughs> and four is very stable. I guess it gives the idea of that stability and solidity. What mm. is his foot on? Is that just a rock or is that supposed to be something? I haven't seen any reference, but it does look like something. 
It almost looks like Darth Vader's helmet. I was going to say, there kind of looks like a skull in there yeah. a little bit. Um, I see a skull. Actually, you know, sort of in the upper right of that boulder thingy or whatever it is, it looks especially like a skull. Maybe it is a helmet. Maybe it's part of the... And which His armor sense. that he's not wearing. Yeah, and that would make sense, like the Seven of Wands aspect, his shadow deck and like setting aside the valor that's he's right got his foot on the helmet he doesn't need it right now i like that a lot let's say that's let's what say it is <laughs> because i i like the idea that he's set aside his soldier days and that he's mm-hmm. concentrating on providing for people plus you can tell he just really loves his food so his crown is worth mentioning i i hadn't really thought about this too hard before but if you look at the top of it that is actually roses and lilies mm-hmm and it's not just the top of the throne. It's actually on top of his crown. his crown. So there's three roses and in between them, two, two lilies. lilies. Right. And that, again, is sort of the combination of solar and lunar that we've seen before. It's something that we have also seen on the Ace of Pentacles in Rider-Waite-Smith. We've seen it on the Magician and... I think on the two of wands, I think those are the cards that where you primarily see those. So when you see those, it's really um, uh, that, that combination of male and female, the combination of moon and sun, the combination of above and below, the divine and the mundane, because the lily, of course, is associated with the number six, six petals, whereas the rose is associated with the number five. The six is the divine number because of its as above, so below qualities. And the five is our sort of desire to connect with that. So matter plus spirit. Although just to play devil's advocate, I've seen roses associated with sixes as well. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that also happens. You know, whenever you see red and white mm-hmm. um, lilies and roses or there's always that sort of implication that they're opposing dual forces, yes. yep. you know, the red as the, the, uh, the carnality and passion of life perpetuating itself and the white as the striving to transcend that. Or even as birth and death. Birth and death, indeed. Right. So he is, you know, as the sacrificial king, he stands between those worlds. And we talked a lot of in the Virgo cards about that transitional nature between life and death. So there's that. And then there's his face. By the way, when I was first starting to read tarot, I thought that this guy looked a lot like my husband, (laughs) Uh, who is a Taurus, but just that sort of straight nosed kind of uh, large body kind of a thing. Not short, though. But one thing that we were looking at right before we started recording was an excerpt from that new book, Pamela Coleman Smith, The Untold Story, where one of the authors of that book compares this card to Edie Craig, who was Ellen Terry's daughter, the actress Ellen Terry's daughter, an actress herself, and a good friend of Pamela Coleman Smith. So this is from page 367 of Pamela Coleman Smith, The Untold Story. The author argues, and I should have written down her name, but I didn't. The author argues that we see Edith Craig as the magician, in in the magician card. And then we see her again in the King of Pentacles in a more mature form. And the reason that they sort of connected this card with Edie Craig was based on her portrayal in a, well, in this photograph, which was used in suffrage literature, because Edie Craig was very 
prominent in the suffrage movement, where her expression and her facial structure looks a lot like the King of Pentacles. So that makes you think, number one, that just a reminder that all cards are all genders, but also that also in the idea that as a suffrage warrior, that she was uh, fighting for the the enfranchisement of women and sort of allowing the vote to help them achieve governorship and rulership within society. So anyway, and she also makes the argument, which I'm not sure we were just saying, we're not sure we buy it, that the sort of armor of the <laughs> of the foot peeking out sort of um, refers to her status as a suffrage warrior, you know, whatever. <laughs> oh, and it, one thing that is interesting to note is that it is the only king in Rider Wade Smith who has armor on. The others all have shoes or boots or whatever, cloth, socks. That reminds me a little bit again of that sort of past as the warrior. Looking at this guy, he definitely looks like the ultimate patriarch. He looks like the master of resources. Yeah. One of the things that Waite says, his descriptions as always are very short in the pictorial key, but they somehow manage to also be contradictory. <laughs> because he says that on the one hand, he doesn't really think that it has much to do with questions of money. He says, in many old tarot packs, this suit stood for current coin, money, deniers. But the consensus of divinatory meanings is on the side of some change, because the cards do not happen to deal especially with questions of money. Oh, yeah. And he says that the divinatory meanings include valor, well, seven of wands, realizing intelligence, business and normal intellectual aptitude, and sometimes mathematical gifts and attainments. So all of which kind of sound like money. Yeah. <laughs> business yeah. aptitude. Is it money or right? is it not money? Is right? bus business aptitude <laughs> supposed to mean that you earn money? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I think maybe he was trying to get away from associating it too closely with the Ten of Discs, but there are questions of wealth and money associated with this. And a lot of people read this card in Rider Waite Smith as a business person or somebody who is an entrepreneur in some way. And you can see why they do that. It makes sense. The other thing about his armor, I think, is that, you know, this reminds me a little bit of the Emperor card the way he's so solidly seated and his armor. Because if you imagine this guy, you know, he's so, um, he's surrounded by creature comforts, but wearing armor is not comfortable, right? He's not just about his own comforts, but the good of the kingdom. And that's why he's still in armor, even though he's... And the armor is kind of hidden. It's just that foot peeking out and perhaps the helmet there. Like it's the hidden armor... Just like his shadow card is the martial card. Yeah. And you know what's funny? I sort of associate this card with gout, <laughs> you know, because hmm. in the sense that gout comes from really good eating and drinking. Uh, yes. And that- Especially of drinking a lot of beer, which is made from grains. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And if you and develop gout you, yeah. gout, you have to protect the foot and raise it up. And, you know, the way oh, he's maybe sitting- he's got gout. <laughs> he looks like he has gout to me. Yeah. Of, of all the kings, he's the most likely to have gout. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> The fact that he's covered with grapes like that is also interesting. Uh, we see grapes in this card. We see roses in the queen. And then we see plowed fields in the night. But the grapes, as we've mentioned before, have to do with wine and the sacrifice. Um, 
the blood-like qualities of wine. Wine is often used as a substitute for blood. And I've sort of looked up wine in the symbol dictionary, and wine was considered the joy-bringing drink of the living. So forbidden when you make offerings to underworld gods, because, you know, it is our drink, it is sort of like our mortality that's encoded in the act of picking the grape, pressing the grape, and deriving this blood-like liquid from it, besides the fact that the grape harvest occurs in this guy's time. And then the final thing that is worth noticing in this card is the castle. I believe there is no other court card in Rider-Waite-Smith that has any architecture in it, Hmm. any built world in it. It's only this one. So that makes you think again about discs, pentacles, um, qualities of earth, not only as a natural force, but something that we specifically as humans interact and build upon, you know, that we use our ingenuity to make homes and comforts for ourselves. It's not just about sort of taking what's there. We plan and we build and we we are the architects of our own fortune. And I think that that's you know, maybe sort of a also a reference to Malkut, Asiya, sort of in the disc sense, mm. in the sense that this suit is associated with those. There's two other things I notice about the the card. One is that his scepter looks a lot like the Empress's scepter. Yes, it does. Which again brings in, you know, the Demeter series, God of Grain, uh, Ear of Corn in Virgo's Spica, Star in the Constellation. That's interesting. And the other thing, look in the lower left, are those shrooms? They look awfully like psychedelic mushrooms in that lower left-hand corner. Oh, that's wicked cool. Their stems look kind of long, but but they do have that color. Yeah, they have the shape too. Yeah, and the shape. There's a little bit of a stone wall behind him, so it's almost like he's on a castle parapet or something with his throne, but it's somehow... Or, or in an enclosed garden of some yeah, sort. Yeah, with a low wall Just like it. the Nine of Discs exactly. card, which is one of his decans. Looks a lot like the Nine of Discs, actually. If you look at her card, you see the grapes, you see the wall, you see he could be in, even in the same garden. I notice that to the left of his throne, if you look at the grape vines there it's as if those have been picked you know you can see bare twigs there and it's as if the harvest has already already it's underway yeah you know we talked a little bit about that whole rider weight prince king thing Mm -hmm. but it's nowhere more apparent than in this particular card the knight of pentacles or discs or the king of pentacles or discs that the, the knight card really seems to match in a way that the other, that this card, it seems out of place. Yeah. Like they don't seem to yeah. match up as well as if we reversed it the way we normally do. That's it. true. That's yeah. true. It's partly just because you always have horses in Rider Waite Smith knights and Thoth knights. But if you reverse in Pentacles, it really does. It really does look a lot more. Yeah, it's not just close. the horse thing. Yeah, it's not <laughs> it's just that either. It's more than the horse thing. That There's something there. about the attitude and the sort yeah. of like, the contemplative nature of looking out over the land. Yeah. That's really uh, equivalent in those two. You know, one thing that's kind of interesting is that it's almost like he can, either he's covered in grapes or his or his clothing is, you know, decorated with grapes. Yeah, he, I thought it was just the pattern on the cloth. Could be. And I think, you know, it's just a way of establishing his identity with the harvest. You know, he's not just... 
in charge of the grapes. He is the grapes. <laughs> <laughs> Although to the his right, there are unpicked grapes on right. the plants. It's almost like he is the body of the land, in a sense. So yep. his sacrifice... The king one with the land. Yeah, the king is one with the land, and his sacrifice is to feed the many. Anyway. All right, so shall we move on to Thoth? Sure. He of the stag head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the stag head helmet. Very short. Very short. And his horse is not a war horse. This is a no, I, I think plow Kirk horse. I calls him a shire horse. Yeah, a shire horse. <laughs> you just know he has like hooves the size of dinner plates. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he, he looks like he's about to crop some grass there. <laughs> he is. He's like, he's very happy where he is. Again, we can point out the resemblance to the Knight of Pentacles in Wade Smith and that sort of outlook over the land, looking over the ripe corn land. Uh, corn, of course, I think that's something that Crowley says. Corn is in England equated with grain, not just corn as we do in the United States, where we're specifically speaking about ears of corn cob, corn like on the cob. John barley corn. Right, exactly. Corn just means grain. John barley corn must die. Another sacrificial king. <laughs> That's right. Crowley says he's concerned greatly with agriculture. Yeah, and he makes a point of saying that his helmet is thrown back because his function is entirely confined to the production of food. So that his mouth is available. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, he's not protecting himself. He's feeding his face. <laughs> yeah. Hard to stuff in those corn chips with the, with the helmet on. <laughs> One thing I'm struck at when I look at this card is notice how his gaze seems to be like upwards towards that mountain or cult of cultivated fields that you see off to mm-hmm. the right. It's almost like he's he's looking up the mountain. Maybe it's the hermit's mountain. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. But they're they're cultivated fields. They're not barren like the hermit's snowy mountain. That's um, right. Horse is looking downward towards the the grass and the and the little grains. Like there's something about that focus on the big and the small. Yeah, you know? yeah. I can totally see that. He's like, yeah. And the, the difference between foreground and background is also that sort of big picture versus very granular, literally uh, small picture. I love the way there's those sort of uh, circles of force radiating out from his shield pentacle thing. It's sort of like Captain America's vibranium shield. <laughs> yeah, as if the, the face of the shield is the sun. Yeah, and it's sort of echoed in sort of the cultivated fields beyond. He is the sun that is warming. the back of the shield, though it's black, has mm-hmm. those solar-looking... Um, points right there's definitely a lot of sun stuff going on here in um the snuffin book and i think in lon milo's book as well they both mention that the front of the shield that we can't see i think it's speculatory but i don't know is the um pentacle of the zelator adeptus major which is a saltier of malkuth with a six-pointed star oh. imposed over it neat but you can't see it. So. How do you know then? Exactly. <laughs> Some secret teachings. Yeah, I guess so. But They're- I love that it's the that it's radiating that solar light and and bringing in that fire of Earth. I think that really speaks to the function of the king as the solar center in a way. Even though we'll see more of that as in the Prince and Knight card as well. There's that uh, 
uh, center of the universe quality mm. to this guy. Well, he's certainly a gravitational force. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're, what is it that Crowley says? He says the uh, phenomena refers to the phenomena of mountains, earthquakes, and gravitation. So you can really see that, those lines of force. Now, Lon, in his book, besides giving us that great nose to the grindstone quote, he also says, he quotes Lady Frida. And there's just something in that letter that's so charming to me, where she says, someone has sent me a flail. <laughs> so I guess she was determined to include a flail in the picture. And I had to kind of look up what a flail is and what it does. That's what he's holding in his right kind hand. It looks like nunchucks, but... It does. It does. Because I guess it's for threshing grain. It is. And, you know, it's sort of like a club that's attached by a chain to a stick that you hold. So it's really quite a deadly weapon. It's for thrashing the bejesus out of stuff. And I, I thought it was interesting because I wasn't quite sure what a flail is. I was more kind of familiar with it the uh, context of the crook and flail, you know, which are Egyptian symbols of rulership. And the flail in Egyptian... It has multiple... Yeah, um, it's like sort of lashes. on the end of the stick. <laughs> yeah, it's more of sort of um, an instrument of punishment, I think, um, or discipline or correction, I guess, is what they would say. Whereas this flail is... It has a, an agricultural purpose to separate the husks although it could also beat the bejesus out of it somebody could. it could it absolutely <laughs> yeah. could yeah and i think you know it's interesting that it's illustrated right next to these ripe grain heads here because that's what it's supposed to work on mm. it's supposed to um, separate grain from husk and the weed of course you know as you were saying the mysteries of demeter and dionysus death and rebirth that's something that we always see with with wheat imagery. You know, I, I sort of like the way that you translated that into corn imagery and yours, which feels more local to us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Crowley also didn't have a lot of positive um, no. personal qualities, you know, when he when he spoke about the personality of this card. It sounded That's like sure. he, he might have had a beef with one at some time or something. <laughs> <laughs> I think Crowley generally was so appreciative of fire qualities and he kind of saw earthy qualities as the opposite of that, yeah. you know. He, Dullards. Yeah, yeah. Let's see. He didn't have any, you know, significant earth in his chart, did he? He was uh, Leo rising, and then he was yeah, Libra, Libra sun. I don't remember what his moon was. I'd have to look. Anyway, but he doesn't have a lot nice to say about the earth courts other than the queen, really. The male earth courts, he doesn't seem yeah, to care for yeah, much. Yeah, he speaks very well of the queen, but the two, yeah. the two male earth courts, not so much. Yeah, it's almost like he really wants the receptive qualities to come through in earth rather than the masculine, uh, yeah, more masculine that ones. That makes sense. Yeah, he says... Those whom he symbolizes tend to be dull, heavy, and preoccupied with material things. They are laborious and patient, but would have little intellectual grasp even of matters which concern them most closely. I resemble that remark, you know, as a Virgo, I don't like that. If ill-dignified, these people are hopelessly stupid, slavish, incapable of foresight. Yeah. <laughs> I think he, he mentions churlish, yeah. meddling, churlish. <laughs> Yeah. Meddling in small matters, petty matters. Yeah. But then uh, later on in this very long description, he goes on to saying Mercury in Virgo symbolizes in intelligence applied to agriculture. 
And he goes on to say it harmonizes perfectly with the Ten of Discs, which is ruled by this planet right. and this sign. He must have gotten confused. Cause... Well, the Ten of Discs is Mercury, a double Mercury. So he's just yeah. talking about the nature of Mercury and Virgo. Not the specific decan. Yeah. Okay. That's what I think. I guess so. So in terms of the I Ching correspondence, he does talk about that a little bit. And the I Ching hexagram that goes with this is... Um, Thunder over mountain. So um, this is hexagram 62, is it? Yep, 62. Right, pull up. I won't even try to say it because I never get them right. <laughs> It is. Uh, oh, yeah. Xiao Guo. So Xiao is one of the words in Chinese I actually know because it just means little. Uh, little exceeding is the translation. Yeah, that's, I had small exceeding. Small same or thing. little. Yep. yep. Same thing. Or small powers was another one that I saw. Small powers or small exceeding. Yeah. So you have, as you said, the thunder trigram, which is those two broken lines over a solid line. Right, and then, so thunder corresponding to fire and mountain corresponding to earth. So we exactly. have fire of earth. And the mountain has one solid line over two broken ones. One way of interpreting little exceeding is to say, well, there's in total four weak or yin broken lines. So they exceed the two solid lines. The weak exceed the great. The sort of point of this hexagram is that sometimes it's appropriate to concentrate on little things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which yeah, seems very appropriate. Something like um, sticking to simplicity, you know, success through not striving, just doing kind of like the chop wood, carry water yeah. kind of vibe and um, not to fly too high, tend to the small affairs and stay below, stay humble and a quality of humility in order to exceed. <laughs> exactly. So you've got to do it sometime. Yeah. And now's the time to focus on the little things to uh, ensure success later. And it all sounds very mm -hmm. Virgo, as well as the reminder of his shadow, you know, that indulging, indulging that heroism of the Seven of Wands kind of abdicates the care in the small things. That's his main purpose. So it mm -hmm. kind of echoes that, too. It's a really appropriate hexagram mm -hmm. for, for this card. There's something about this that Crowley mentions about the bird. And I guess... Sometimes, I guess it looks like a bird. Yeah, if you hold it sideways, the solid lines sort of form the body and the broken lines, the beating wings of mm -hmm. the bird. Mm -hmm. So you can kind of imagine uh, that quality of, it's qualities of flight, but also it's concentration on very tiny things. Yeah, <laughs> birds are just small creatures and who eat even smaller, smaller tiny creatures, things. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> They're very interested in individual grains of things. And you know what's also curious is that this is the inverse hexagram of Zhongfu, which is the previous hexagram. So whereas we have the sort of um, two weak lines on top, two solid lines, two weak lines on the bottom, this is like trying to describe a barcode. <laughs> um, the Zhongfu hexagram, which is the previous one, has two solid lines, two broken lines, two solid lines. So they're inverse in that way, kind of the same way we as we do geomancy. And that's interesting because Whereas this is kind of the fire over earth one, that's the air over water one, which is related, of course, to the Prince of Cups, who is related to Nectanebo, as we were talking yeah. about. So that's almost like the father of this card. Nectanebo yep. is the father of Alexander, the Prince of Cups. Scorpio is having this relationship to the Knight of Desks, King of Pentacles. The Zhongfu trigram has to do with 
inward confidence or sincerity, whereas this one is little exceeding. So there's that sort of relationship between a fixity of purpose within the previous hexagram, converting then to the sort of external focus on the very small. Does he talk about the geomantic figure? He doesn't actually he talk, doesn't talk about, about it. it much. He just oh, mentions that it looks a little bit like that the hexagram reminds him of the conjunctio, which is the Mercury and Virgo. And figure. is associated I, with Virgo it, generally, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about that in the 10, I think. 10 of discs, probably. Yeah, yeah. probably, because there was some sort of relationship to that figure. The the conjunctio figure is 2.1.1.2. So basically downward triangle over upward triangle. So again, that lunar and solar combination brought together, which we generally see in this card, lunar elements as well as solar ones. Hmm. Interesting. And supposedly that's the symbol that's on the other side of the shield. <laughs> The unseen sun, which kind of is a is a theme of the hermit itself. Exactly. That hidden sun, that light concealed in his lantern or under his robe. To be carried through the darkness. Yep. Right. Yeah, it's interesting, the solar qualities of this card, which I never really picked up on that much before studying up for this. But they're there. And, you know, maybe it has to do with the closeness of Mercury to the sun. But also, of course, all of the mythic uh, symbolic qualities of kingship. All right, so uh, anything else to say about Thoth? He really wrote quite a lot about this card. Yeah, I think he said something, too, about the fickle mob of Coriolanus. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, the Shakespearean mm -hmm. story mm -hmm. of popular discontent. Yeah, he, he has a couple of paragraphs in here just about vacillation and inconstancy. And I think he attributed that to the... Um, when he was talking about the hexagram, he said that was the negative side of it, the negative side of what he called Luna and the bird, which yeah. was that kind of um, both fickleness and being prone to illusions and delusions, you know, from the lunar, that this guy should turn towards the solar qualities rather than the lunar, I think was the message I think he was trying to idea. get at. Yeah, it's funny that he kind of fixated the, on that a little bit. Yeah, he talks about the tendency to waste time in idle dreaming, which is interesting because you would sort of expect to find that more in the shadow decan, you know, the way he's describing, but, you know, we don't really associate the Seven of Wands with that. Mm. But it's something that he picked up on in terms of lunar qualities, I guess. So I think he was trying to say that this guy's qualities come out better when he turns towards the solar aspect, generative, seed awakening powers and cultivation of not just plants, but of ideas and, and mm -hmm. people and that solar awakening quality rather than the introspective lunar dreaming yeah. qualities. I think you're right. Right. Because it's almost like the sun can get lost in its passage through the darkness if you don't focus on the destination. All right. Shall we talk about Tabula Mundi? Sure. All right. So again, we have a a guy on a horse that's really interested in uh, cropping, <laughs> cropping some grass here. Um, yeah, the horse is hungry. Oh, we should start by reading the description for the court crest, because that's what we normally do. I got it here in this uh, Liber Theta thingy here, which lists all the traditional Golden Dawn descriptions. So for this guy, a dark winged warrior with winged and crowned helmet. Mounted on a light brown horse, equipment as the Knight of Wands, the winged head of a stag or antelope as a crest, 
Beneath the horse's feet is fertile land with ripened corn. In one hand he bears a scepter surmounted by a hexagram. In the other, a disc similar to that of the apprentice Adeptus. So that's oh, why they're saying that that, that, that should is. be on the other side of the shield. That makes sense. I see. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, the winged the winged stag, when I was looking in the symbol dictionary about all that stag stuff, I yeah. did notice a couple of things about the winged stag in particular, one mm-hmm. of which really makes sense and the other doesn't. The one that doesn't, <laughs> it said that the winged stag shows swiftness to act. I'm like, no, uh, that's the opposite of really. this guy. Not really. He yeah. does not show quickness to act. But. Yeah. The other thing it said, it said, or it can it can be associated with prudence, like we talked about. And it said the winged stag can be associated with the prudence of sainthood, where one pays attention to God's promptings. So I thought, well, that okay, makes that, that kind of makes a little bit more sense, you know? Yeah. What's the listening to, what's the right thing to do for the people? You know, that kind of quality of prudence and, yeah. and care. Well, you know, and also the speed thing is not completely off because he is associated with mercury through virgo yeah well the, winged helmet you winged know, we didn't yeah. get to that yet but mm-hmm. it all that's the other thing it said about the stag is that the stag was sometimes seen as in alchemy as a, for mercury for the alchemical mercury sometimes a stag head was used so i mm. thought that was kind of interesting just um, right considering that mercury as the planet is also associated with this card yeah yeah. For what it's worth. I was thinking about wings generally, you know, in, yeah, in Thoth, I'm just, just trying to figure out whether wings belong on Night Kings or not. And I can see that there is, you know, Night King of Cups and Night King of Swords on his helmet has wings, but not, uh, the Night King of Wands or Discs. So that's a commonality yeah. in Thoth, but, but but in but in Libra Theta and in your deck, sorry, in Golden Dawn and in your deck, we do have wings on the on the disc sky. Yeah, that was just based on the description. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes artistically, when you're trying to design, you're trying to cram all these things on this very small format. It's, yeah, it's not always easy to get everything that they say is in the description in there. Well, I think that it makes sense that he should be a winged figure, not just because of Mercury, but because of his sort of ascent descent kind of qualities, mm-hmm. you know the the death and knights and in general seem like it's yeah. appropriate for them to because they're on that. the move. Yeah, exactly yeah. that yeah, yeah, yeah. that quality. And we talked about the um, the antlers of the stag as being associated with the expanding rays of the sun, and you or can the kind tree of, of life also. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you can see that in this card with the sun's rays kind of yeah. behind the stag head, and also because the deer lose and regrow their antlers every year mm-hmm. there's also that theme of regeneration you know birth and death and regrowth of something yeah that and gr- grows drops off and regrows again and you were telling me that the reason i can't find stag points anywhere is because the the antlers themselves are food food yeah for little mice and yeah, stuff yeah that's yeah, right yeah even even that which is discarded is nourishment yeah yeah that's interesting. Nothing goes to waste. When you look at the card, we see the images from the three Deccan cards on the shield that's strapped to the back of his horse. He's got the same type of flail that the Thoth card has, that uh, nunchucks, <laughs> nunchucks flail. <laughs> um, yeah. And um, on his shield, he's got the the hand from 
the, the nine, nine of discs, which mm-hmm. is the, the, the yod, um, and also the counting hand and counting your blessing, mm-hmm. blessings and harvesting and all the things that have to do with the hand. And then from the eight of discs, we have the, the nest with eggs, which talks about his care of small things and his prudence. And then we have the fierce tiger from the seven of wands, valor, which talks about his yearning for valor as his shadow and and his ability to you know also do offense as well as defense oh and the other thing that about the stag i read somewhere that there's mythology about the stag eating the serpent and it was supposed to do with the stag acquiring wisdom by eating the serpent. I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, serpents in general, you know, if you eat them, you're supposed yep. to gain understanding. Yep. Mm-hmm. And the serpent, too, yeah. has something to do with that regeneration quality, the way it sheds its skin, just like the, the stag sheds its antlers. Absolutely. And you've got all this tasseling corn here. Yep. Lots of corn. Yep. We have a lot of cornfields, not as much as in the Midwest, but we have <laughs> but a we lot have of our co- share. We have a lot of cow corn around here. You can tell that it's getting to be a little late in the season just from the way the foliage is hanging and the tassels are drooping a little bit. Yep. That's pretty much it, though, for what's mm-hmm. actually s- symbolic in the card. Yeah. Very similar to the Thoth. What about the four wings behind the stag head? Any reason for. No. That's just, <laughs> just artistic license. That's just the muse wanting it that way. It's you, cool you could make looking. up some things about four, about, you know, constancy and um Yeah, but and also this sort of like and, an uh, intertwining, you yep. know, spiral helix kind of thing going on. I don't know. I just like the way it looks. Yep. So this guy, get him much? Eh, here and there, yeah. Not very exciting. I always like seeing him. Partly because he's one of my, you know, natal Deccan guys. Yeah, yeah. But um Yep. But also because I associated him, weirdly enough, with mostly with the abundance side. Mm -hmm. And I have had so many good meals when I've gotten this card, (laughs) you know, just not just like good as in I made something for myself and it turned out really well, but like shared with friends. Yeah, sharing the bounty and the food production. And yep. Yeah, yeah, there's... It's definitely a card of slowing down to enjoy things. Yeah. Let's see. <laughs> Literally everything on this list. And I do get him a fair amount. But everything there's to like, do with food. Yeah. Falafel and ribs, lamb kebabs, chicken satay, <laughs> many good meals, lots of blueberries. You know, it just goes on and on about all the things I ate on here. So uh, I don't think it's my imagination. I seem to have had a lot of planting, you know, or agricultural stuff generally getting this card. Uh, parties you know, food parties mm-hmm. with people. And uh, I often get it for, for themes of patience. Oh, interesting. You know? Yeah. Yeah. If, like when you're doing sort of a long-term task. Yeah. yeah. It's like, okay, this is going to be a while. It's yeah. Gonna, you know, keep prudent, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know, our friends in the uh, Fortune's Wheel Academy will like this. I got it the day that Darren started that group. Ah, so there's yep. sort of like a, you know, a sort of a daring, ga- a gathering <laughs> and also a gathering of resources to share, you know, yeah, share the fruits of mm-hmm. what's been gathered. Yeah, there's definitely a community feeling to it. Yep. Also got it one time when I was uh, delivering my dad's taxes. So there's a, you know, father figures and money. Yep. <laughs> there is something nurturing things. about this card for sure. For sure. 
And that food is really the ultimate form of nurturing in a way. I also had it on the day that I set up my ancestor altar, which oh, seems sort of yep. appropriate. It does, actually. Mm -hmm. I also did a lot of proofreading that day, which is an extremely Virgo, Virgo thing yep, to do. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, that kind Attention of stuff. Attention to small things. Oh, God. Ah, story of my life. <laughs> All right. So, um, oh, Lordy, are we going to sum this up now? I guess so. Okay, so we've we talked a lot about the the Lord of the Wide and Fertile Land, the fiery part of Earth, fire of Earth, and his devotion to agriculture. We talked about him as uh, sort of the transition from Leo to Virgo, from going from the charismatic ruler to governing in prose and minding the harvest and providing for the people. We talked about sacrificial kings uh, of various kinds. Yeah. The king won with the land. The Arthurian theme, the harvest of the grape and the wine or blood associated with that. Sir Nunus, god of plenty. The dual carnine or two-horned god, uh, Zeus Ammon, the ram god of Thebes, protecting humanity from the gods of chaos, Gog and Magog. Noses and grindstones. <laughs> Bulls, stags, rams. Gnomes and short guys. <laughs> the horse ever so attentive to his feed. The hidden son of the hermit. Solar and lunar qualities. Valor, prudence, and gain. The romance of Alexander, and, uh, the son of the sorcerer Nectanebo, the just ruler. And about stag symbolism. The regeneration, the renewal, and the expanding rays of the sun, as well as the stag eating the serpent. Hexagram 62, Xiao Guo, uh, little exceeding, the attention to small things, as well as a little bit of reference to conjunctio, the geomantic figure combining lunar and solar. Mountains, earthquakes, and gravitational fields. <laughs> Thunder over the mountain. The pentacle as shield. Patriarchs, conservatives... Master of resources and merchants with business aptitude. Chokmah in Asiya, the wisdom applied to the material world, the innovation that allows us to bring in the harvest and feed the many. Cultivation of things, people, and ideas. Someone has sent me a flail. <laughs> <laughs> As an instrument, uh, grain threshing, but also conceivably discipline. The confusing resemblance between the knight or king of discs and thoth to the prince or knight of pentacles in Rider Wade Smith. Darth Vader's helmet. Uh, lilies and roses. Wings of every kind. Yeah, I think that... Yeah, I think we got about what we got here. I learned so much about this card doing this. I never really thought about it quite as much before. There's quite a lot packed in there. Yeah, more than meets the eye. As always. Alrighty. Thank you for getting down into the nitty gritty with us on the knight or king of pentacles or discs. Dishing the dirt. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> and we will be back next time with the goat queen, the queen of pentacles or discs. See you then. And that's our show for today. You can find us as always at our online home, www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse but there are also a number of other places you can find me and mel on the internet 
All of Mel's books and decks can be found at www.tarotcart.com. So that's your first stop if you want to find anything related to the Rosetta Tarot or the Tabula Mundi Tarot. That's also where you'll find the adorable new pocket-sized decks as well as signed and matted prints of her artwork. As for me, my book, Tarot Correspondences, Ancient Secrets for Everyday Readers, is coming out from Llewellyn and is available for pre-order online at Amazon Book Depository and more. You can learn more about that at my website, www.tsusanchang.com. I also have a shop on Etsy where I sell the one and only trademarked Arcana case in lavish silks, brocades, and esoteric prints, as well as my Zodiac perfumes. Perfumes for the next month's sun signs are always on sale at the year's lowest price. All of that is at www.etsy.com slash tarotista. And if you'd like your very own Fortune's Wheelhouse t-shirt or tote bag or mug, we have those too. You can find them at our Redbubble shop. The address for that is redbubble.com slash people slash wheelhouse 93 slash shop. Go on, get yourself something. You know you deserve it. Happy shopping to all you heroes of the astral plane. We so appreciate your support. <laughs>